Hello and welcome to the Wild Cornwall podcast. With some concerning headlines about rises in sea temperatures, I caught up with Matt Slater, one of our marine conservation officers, to discuss the impact of climate change on Cornwall's seas. Matt, welcome back to the Wild Cornwall podcast. I think it was about this time last year that we uh, interviewed you first. That's right. Yeah, it's nice to be back. Certainly, it's been a busy year. So, yeah, we've got a lot to talk about. Yeah, and and particularly busy for you over the last couple of weeks because you've had National Marine Week. That's right. Oh, yeah, that's right. It's been a really great, uh, a great week last week. National Marine Week. We had events every day all around Cornwall. And as always, you know, it, it's 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 really amazing how much interest there is in, in our marine life, which is great. And during the holidays, these are sort of a lot of them are like real family friendly events. And it's it's really cool, kind of um, inspiring, really, you know, to be chatting with the younger generation a bit more and, you know, uh, sharing our enthusiasm with them is always really rewarding. So, yeah, I'm quite tired. I bet but you it are. was a brilliant week. Yeah. Can you, can you give us an example of one event that you ran? Oh, well, I, I did a crabbing competition at Lou where we t- taught kids how to safely um, handle the crabs and how to look after them so they're not harming them. But obviously, you always see around Cornish harbours, you see families crabbing and what we don't like to see is buckets rammed full of crabs who are running out of oxygen. So it's really good to get that message across about how to really look after wildlife when you're enjoying it. Um, and then we we had lots of rock pooling, lots of snorkeling. And on the final day of National Marine Week, we had a big event down on the Lizard at Porth Kerris, which is a brilliant place where um, I actually went diving with some of my sea search volunteers. And we came ashore with some starfish and urchins and things like that to put into little tanks. And we did a talk for families on the shore, um, showed the animals and, you know, and then put them back where we found them, you know, after after sort of half an hour or so. Then we did rock pooling and then we did snorkeling with a group of 40, which is probably the biggest group we've ever taken. But everybody loved it and it was a brilliant day. So, yeah, really good. Good week. Oh, and, it sounds uh, absolutely looking brilliant. Looking forward to more of that. <laughs> yeah, but a bit of a rest in between. <laughs> and if so if, you, if you're heading to Cornwall this summer and you want to go crabbing, average size bucket, how many crabs should you be putting in it? Well, I always think you should only have, you know, one or two, really. If you end up with loads of crabs in there, not only do they strip the water of oxygen, but they also start fighting. So uh, in our crabbing competition, we had a prize for the largest male crab and the largest female crab. So everyone in their bucket should only have a maximum of two two crabs. You catch one. If it's smaller, you chuck it back. But if it's bigger, you switch it. You know, so you keep it and switch it with the one that was in your bucket. So that way, you know, you keep well, the kids learn how to handle them safely as well because they've got to, you know, they've got to carefully handle them. And um, yeah, I think that works really well. Good stuff. Well, it sounds like a really good week. Um, today, Matt, we're, we're here to, to talk about something a little bit more concerning. Last week, we heard this news that the oceans have hit their hottest ever uh, recorded temperature as they soak up warmth from climate change. That news came out last Friday. Um, research by the EU Copernicus Climate Change Service. A couple of weeks before that, we heard news from the European Space Agency about the most intense marine heat increases on Earth um, developing uh, in the seas around the UK and Ireland. So some quite concerning headlines. 
we've also you also seen the the heat waves and um you know fires in 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 Europe what are the implications um of this on a global scale for our oceans on our earth well i mean it, it is shocking but equally it, it is unsurprising for those of us who have been following this story for many years and climate change is something that you know we, we've been noticing having impacts for many years now in Cornish waters and um, internationally obviously the the area that's having the, the biggest impact uh, arguably is you know in in the equatorial areas where you've got uh, in the tropics where you've got coral reefs so obviously coral reefs can't just move if the sea temperatures get high too high than they can cope with they, they end up bleaching and dying which is catastrophic for that ecosystem but we're also now seeing problems for mobile species and we're finding that species are moving polewards you know all around the world in our area what that means is um, we're finding that species that prefer cool waters are becoming much more scarce around Cornwall they've moved further north and we're finding that warmer water species are moving into our waters and that pattern is happening all around the world you know and the, pro the problem with this is it's having unpredictable impacts on our our food chains and our ecology the ecology of the oceans and uh, you know um, you, you get crowding further north as well overall it's likely to really reduce the efficiency of marine food chains so yeah we are we are very worried and we're kind of seeing seeing things unfold in front of our eyes here in Cornwall without much real idea of what what the end result is going to be it's really difficult to predict right yeah so, so worrying, obviously yeah, is, worrying. obviously is very concerning and and I'd like to to think a bit more specifically in terms of Cornwall and maybe give help ask you to give us some examples to help us think it through I mean, Cornwall Wildlife Trust's State of Nature report 2020 suggested that in the last 30 years, temperatures have risen by a degree uh, in Cornwall and, and there's a further degree rise predicted by 2050. So can you just give our listeners a sense of some of the implications of what you're seeing in, in Cornwall seas that that might be as a result of that? Yeah, so um, the year that I joined the trust, 2012, mm. um, um, was quite an interesting year. The previous years, sort of 2007 to about 2011, um, there were lots of sightings of basking sharks. But in 2012, there were very few, I think only a handful of sightings and the same the same has been the case ever since 2012. I mean, we used to have a basking shark season every summer and we used to have teams of volunteers out on the cliffs uh, re regularly seeing basking sharks, recording basking sharks. Um, and now there's no point in doing that because you, you're so unlikely to see a basking shark. So, uh, you know, we, we think that they've gone further north and the the although I'm not an expert on this subject and there's a lot of people know a lot more about it than me, I think the general consensus is they followed their food and their food okay. is a type of plankton, uh, crustacean plankton called Calanus. And um, the species they like are nice, nice large um, crustaceans. Uh, they, they prefer cooler water, so they've moved further north as a response to this uh, warming 
water and the basking sharks have followed them and that's why we, we don't now see basking sharks off Cornish coast case so we do very rarely so that's just one example it's you know, quite a major one a lot of yeah. people listening will have remembered seeing them you know in quite quite often you'd see them in quite large numbers and I, I remember swimming with them off um, off Newquay being surrounded by huge basking sharks is an amazing experience but one that sadly you know we're unlikely to to see now in in our waters um, when was the last time you saw one Matt? oh um i'm in trouble thinking about it i think it was in 2012 actually that for right. you know the last yeah time so I that saw one. that long ago over 10 years yeah um but I mean, people do see the odd one and people get excited, don't they? Whenever they see one, um, the story seems to get out and people are all getting jumping up and down saying great white scene off Cornwall. And <laughs> it's um, but they are truly impressive. They are, pro- you know, proper sharks. They're huge sharks. Fortunately, plankton feeders are not at all dangerous. But yeah, we, we um, we've seen loads of other examples of changes. And obviously, with the work that I do on the Cornwall Good Seafood Guide, focusing in on commercial species and looking at the science behind uh, fisheries we're really noticing a change a change there so a great example is is cod so in around 2005 to 2009 um, anglers and fishermen used to land a lot of cod around that time i think we had some colder winters Uh, but in the last 10 years uh, we've had very mild winters and the scientific advice um, on cod fishing in our area is that we shouldn't be catching them. They're becoming so scarce. So, yeah, they're another example of a cold water species moving north. Um, and then we're finding to, to replace the, you know, what, what we're finding is not only are things moving everything's moving further north so what we're finding is that actually off off our coast now we've got an ecosystem that is very similar to the one you would expect off the coast of portugal or spain you know so um we've got huge shoals of sardines we've got anchovies coming into our waters you know that we're seeing large numbers of common dolphins so it really does feel like the seas have changed and in some ways you know the fact that there are these huge shoals of feeding frenzies going on around our coast you know that that is really exciting and and kind of positive and nice to see it shows that our seas are healthy but it's also sort of showing us that things have changed and um yeah I and mean, i think i think our seas are um you know it's it's really climate change is, is another factor there's lots of things we do to our oceans and obviously you know, for, for for centuries, we've extracted marine life from the oceans and sort of changed. Humans have had a real impact on, on the seas by fishing. But um, we're also now seeing this this change due to climatic impacts. Again, you know, human human created, which, you know, it, it is worrying. So and, it, and like I said earlier, it is unpredictable. So although at the moment, fishermen catching hake, for example, they're doing really well because hake are a warm water species. Well, um, you know, it lives quite deep, but it's one that they always used to catch in large numbers further south off the coast of Spain and Portugal. That's now been caught in large numbers of our waters. So that's positive for hake fishermen. But uh, mackerel fishermen, for example, they're not doing so well because mackerel move north. They become more patchy in our waters. So, um, you know, you get pluses and minuses. And uh, yeah, who knows what's going to happen next? Really, it's My next question, really, what what is the concern? You know, if this trajectory continues, 
you've talked about the positives and the negatives, but what's the concern that, that could happen if we carry on in this in this way? I think the overall productivity of the ocean is something we should be worried about. And like I sort of said to you earlier, the the plankton is changing and plankton is the foundation of our ocean food chains. And if the quality of the plankton uh, continues to sort of decrease and decline as our seas become more tropical and less temperate, um, we're going to find that, that that will really impact the uh, the overall sort of fish stocks potentially. But how far off that that is, I'm, I'm not actually sure. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, it is a concern. Um, we're finding as well that coast, our coastal ecosystems are changing uh, quite rapidly and non-native species, for example, seem to be being favoured by this increase in temperature. So, you know, in our estuaries, we're seeing huge in increases in um, the non-native oyster, Pacific oysters that are farmed in UK waters. But um, when they were first brought here, people didn't think they'd be able to reproduce. But now the sea temperatures are warmer, they've gone feral and they're sort of taking over. So uh, we're also finding non-native seaweeds absolutely thriving in our waters. And there is concern with some of these species that they might have a negative impact on native species. So we're monitoring that and that is a big cause of concern as well. And that certainly seems to be being exacerbated by warming seas. Can you tell us, Matt, at all anything about work that we're doing at Cornwall Wildlife Trust that, um, you know, our marine work that's trying to combat some of these things that are concerning us? Yeah, so a lot of attention is being um, made nowadays to uh, to ways to sort of store carbon. So to take carbon dioxide back out of the atmosphere and store it. And natural systems are really good at that. So um, it, it sort of brought renewed interest in conservation of coastal marine habitats, which, is, which we really welcome. So we've got a large, uh, well, we've got a really... Uh, quite healthy still coastal ecology, although you know, the issues I've sort of mentioned are a concern. Uh, it means it's more important than ever to look after our habitats such as seagrass beds, um, salt marshes, mole beds, and uh, which, which are made by you know the rare calcified seaweed. And obviously Cornwall is the only place in England with significant mole beds. And you know that is very very important we need to protect protect those habitats because they draw down carbon and store it in the long term uh, also our kelp forests are very healthy around cornwall but playing a massive role in drawing down of carbon so i think you know we we need to you know obviously yeah that this whole climate change thing has really raised people's awareness of the ecosystem services that these guys provide and they're really helping us uh, absorb carbon dioxide and it's really positive and I, I, i'm really hopeful that that will result in better protection and, and um you know um give us reason really to to work actively to protect our seas better in our local waters which is a positive coming from all this sounds like a, a challenging thing to be doing restoring and, and protecting these habitats what does that look like in reality so in reality mainly what we what we need to be doing is leaving nature to look after itself but but protecting it so restoration is 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 shouted about a lot and i think in the uk across the uk we do need to restore a lot of habitats but in cornwall actually 
in most cases the restoration isn't really needed what we need to do is make sure that stresses that could harm these habitats are minimized so a great example would be that our mill beds in the fowls you know arguably we don't need to go and restore them but we do need to be very careful that poor water quality and rising sea temperatures doesn't negatively impact them and reduce the, their ability to store carbon. So we need to be working you know, to, with landowners and water companies to really reduce nutrient input into our estuaries to, and bays to ensure that these ecosystems are allowed to function as effectively as possible and don't get, uh, don't get damaged. Um, we do have some restoration work that can be done in Cornwall, but it is fairly limited at the moment so um we've got great seagrass beds subtidally that our seagrass beds we've discovered we've got really large ones in recent years uh huge seagrass beds have been found in mounts bay and st Austell bay which is really good and we know that there's great seagrass in falmouth and um whitsand bay as well around Lou. but we need to protect those seagrass beds rather than restore them um, but the exception is the intertidal seagrass and as, as you know and we've spoken about already uh, Cornwall Wildlife Trust have got a great project going on in the Fal Estuary uh, working with intertidal seagrass which we have lost a lot of in Cornwall so this is a smaller type of seagrass which is only found on mudflats in estuaries and which of which we've lost nearly all of, of in Cornwall so um, uh, there's only one one area left on the fowl and one area left on the Tamar where um, this dwarf seagrass still thrives. And we'd love to see that restored in other estuaries such as the Helford, the Pecule, uh, the Foy estuaries in future years. And that that's an area where we can, you know, actually go go and look at ways of kind of bringing that, that species and that habitat back. So that's one area that we're focusing on and we're really excited about it feels good to actually be doing something <laughs> to try and help in terms of um you know human intervention Absolutely. but alongside that it's really important that we focus on water quality and the water quality is not not just important for the success of that work but it, as i said it's also vital in the protection of the existing um habitats that we have further downstream in the, in our estuaries and bays you know, th things like th these amazing um, seagrass beds in Lou, for example, just off Lou Harbour is one of the largest seagrass beds in, in, in Cornwall. And that is uh, is really doing a fantastic job of helping store carbon. And we need to make sure that the uh, that, that continues and that human activity doesn't impact that seagrass bed. You know, it is very close to the, to Lou and close to the new harbour development proposal. So obviously, uh, we would hope that any development there doesn't impact the seagrass bed negatively. Um, you know, and that's going to be the pattern. We're going to be really active in the coming years to come as a marine team, trying to ensure that we don't lose these vital blue carbon habitats that already exist, as well as looking at restoration work of our intertidal seagrasses. So obviously that's that's something good that we're doing, which um, is, a, is a story of some hope. How how much of a big difference is that going to make? Or are there other things that, you know, at a bigger political level still need to happen? Yeah, I, I think we've got to obviously um, be careful that we don't fall down the trap of thinking if we just protect um, marine habitats, everything will be fine. I mean, protecting marine habitats is vitally important, but as a race, we also have to stop producing, you know, releasing carbon dioxide. It's it's got to a point now we're seeing this massive impact we're having 
forest fires, you know, the melting ice caps, the bleaching coral reefs. And all of these should be sending very clear messages to to uh, our, you know, our leaders that something drastic needs to be done. You know, we need to we need to, as a race, really pick up our ideas and end our reliance on fossil fuels, switch to renewable energies as a urgent priority. And, you know, um, the, the the marine environment is really going to help us. It's going to help us recover uh, once we get the problem under control. But it isn't going to bring the problem under control on its own at all. We've all got to look at how, you know, how we live uh, as, a, as a species, you know, and this is a massive political headache, isn't it? You know, we've got wars going on, for goodness sake. It's whilst that's happening, whilst we've got poverty, uh, you know, you can't. You know, we we can't. It's not going to be an easy problem to solve, and it, it is quite overwhelming, isn't it? But you know, we it's it's what we need. We need to see some yeah. proper leadership, isn't it? And that in, it doesn't take away from the, the seriousness of the problem, is what you're saying. Yeah. And and that's a helpful distinction that it's you know the oceans will help us, but actually they're not going to solve this problem for us. And, no. and as a species, we need to be doing more. What what could ordinary people like you and I be doing do you think to to try and help to to put these issues on the agenda and to do things in our own lives that are well there I mean there's lots out there everyone knows you know how how we can reduce our carbon footprint I mean we don't have to say it here now it's it's all pretty obvious you know eating a low carbon diet and traveling less and insulating our houses I mean all of these things I feel need to be encouraged though by our leaders and sort of I think it's time really to shout about it and you know I really respect anyone who's campaigning to try to uh, get things done you know really it's it's madness isn't it us investing in more oil extraction when we should all be insulating our houses and like for example uh, I, I managed to get lined up for one of these grants to get some insulation put on my house a few years ago but there weren't enough uh, licensed builders to fulfill the grant so uh, so yeah I couldn't get my house insulated so I actually ended up you know borrowing some money and getting it done but that's you know that was really disappointing surely we could be getting this organized and getting all of us cutting our carbon footprint and you know and uh, let's hope that our leaders can can deliver that you know we we really need to take action now it's it's going to be too late in a few years yeah to make those things easier for people so they're more motivated to do it exactly and it needs to be easier to use public transport you know we need to be really looking at uh you know flying and how how much carbon that produces um you know looking at better ways of uh moving people around maybe using hydrogen for example you know as an alternative to, to fossil fuels one thing that um is definitely on the on the cards and the government is already saying we're going to have is a lot more offshore wind so that is something that we're we're watching here as a marine team in Cornwall because floating offshore wind is coming to the southwest of England you know whether we like it or not we're going to see a lot more development of that kind off our coastlines if we're to meet our targets and you know we 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 welcome 
when you know you're uptaking renewable energies we think it's a great thing but equally we will be making sure and we'll be making sure that uh, the environment marine environment is is not harmed in the process and it, it can we've seen from the north sea it can be controversial and can be difficult when you're coming ashore for example with with cables and your building facilities etc you want to make sure you don't impact on coastal ecosystems too much so that's going to, I'm sure, be a big thing for our marine team in years to come. But it is positive if we're going to, you know, that, and I really hope we we do manage to ramp up this renewable energy because we're going to need to, aren't we, if we're going to cut back on our use of fossil fuels. It's absolutely urgent and imperative that we do cut back on that because it's uh, got us in a massive, massive, <laughs> yeah, yeah. In a perilous, a perilous place, hasn't it, as we've seen. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we, we've we've seen it this summer with all sorts of different kinds of news headlines. So, um, yeah, yeah the, exactly. But it's it's really helpful to to get a sense of what it is you're seeing in, in the waters around Cornwall, which um, fit that overall bigger global picture. Mm. Yeah, Matt, thank you for your time today. What what else have you got in your diary this week? What's uh, I mean, it sounds like you, you've had a pretty full on couple of weeks but yeah. what else well, have you got to look I've forward to? I've got a to? nice afternoon I'm going down with uh, to the um, Fowl Ruin Nature Reserve down on the River Fowl with Sophie Pipe our seagrass officer this afternoon so I'm really looking forward to to that to have a catch up with her and see how the seedlings are going from the plant from the seeds that, were, that Sophie and her team planted in the autumn we've had a good success rate uh, i think 70% success rate of um regrowth which is really great so it is a very small scale um, trial that was carried out last year and we're going to expand it this year so really excited about visiting that and then later in the week we're um, taking a a bunch of uh, people out snorkeling on friday showing them the uh, the seagrass beds down on the Halford estuary so that's going to be really good as well um but yeah, we've I've got a lot of work at this time of year with the seafood ratings. So we're going to be um, doing a big a ratings consultation that's being announced this week. So anyone interested in seafood needs to check that out. That's all going to be um, uploaded onto the Good Common Good Seafood Guide website. But yeah, we've got several things have happened. Actually, some some quite worrying news for pollock, which is something that for years people have been saying is a good alternative to cod. Well, actually, pollock is related to cod and they don't like warm water either. And it's, right. <laughs> at the moment, pollock uh, stocks around Europe are, are in trouble, according to the scientists. And in fact, um, ICs have advised a zero uh, catch for this year, which is very extreme. They don't sort of say that for nothing. And that's going to impact our ratings on pollock which is going to be a big problem for our fishermen. But, um, so is, yeah, that so on the, is that on the website yet or that that's coming yeah, to so the website? It, we, so we have a consultation being launched today and, and the public are allowed to get involved if they have any information that might help with um, our ratings. So, yeah, they can find out more about that on our website. But, yeah, so it's a busy, busy time, <laughs> but a yeah. good time of year. And, um, Actually, I don't really have a quiet time here, do I, Tom? Because you have no, trouble sometimes do. getting hold of me, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> but it, it just shows you there is so much going on. And our, our small uh, marine team here in Cornwall really are working on some internationally recognised projects. We're very proud of what we managed to get done. And, you know, we uh, we feel that it's a really important part of the work of the Wildlife Trust. And, and we really appreciate all the support we get from all of our members. So, uh, yeah, it's nice to update them all. I couldn't, couldn't agree more. And uh, thanks 
for all you do and for your time today, Matt. No problem at all. Cheers, Tom. That's all for today on the Wild Cornwall podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to keep up with all of our latest episodes. Do check out the links in the show notes. And if you're not already a member of Cornwall Wildlife Trust and want to take an action for nature in Cornwall, why not join us today?